Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Kate, do you know what the answer is to the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? It's episode 42 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. I, I wish there was just like a voice reaction for just a nod. Today we're doing a speech breakdown. We know one of the best ways to become a better communicator and a better presenter is to watch other people communicate, present, give talks, and think critically about what it is that they're doing. Today we're going to be breaking down the number six most watched TED talk of all time. I did not know it was that. There you go. Yeah, let's go big. Okay. <laughs> so as standard, we're going to play a talk and we're going to pause at any point that we feel like commenting on something, something that they've done particularly well, something that we feel like maybe wasn't so effective and perhaps we should be avoiding. Yeah. Today we're listening to Julian Treasure, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen, recorded at TED 2013 in Edinburgh, Scotland. Let's do it. The human voice. It's the instrument we all play. It's the most powerful sound in the world, probably. It's the only one that can start a war or say, I love you. And yet many people have the experience that when they speak, people don't listen to them. Why is that? How can we speak powerfully to make change in the world? Two things that are really clever just here. The first he did was he opened with a three-word sentence, which was the human voice. Mm. This is a little bit of an advanced technique. I remember hearing this years and years ago, and the more I listen for it, the more I find really effective talks that start with uh, clear purpose do this. If you think back to Barack Obama's 2008 uh, presidential campaign, mm. his campaign slogan was, yes, we can. Three words works really well. Yeah, right. It's something I always strive to do, and to be honest, I don't always get it to three words. I nearly only ever get it to four words, just because of the way, you know, that kind of works. Just so, remove one of them. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> and then he moved into talking about the human voice. It's the one we all play. Not everybody feels like they've been listened to. And I think that's really opening the doors to this talk to everybody who's listening. Opening the doors to this universal feeling that... Now we all want to listen to what he has to say because I've felt the way he's describing. You know what I think it is? Um, he has created a huge amount of contrast. He's given us the potential of the human voice, which is to say I love you, which is one of the greatest things that someone can say, and also to start a war, which is one of the most terrible things mm. that we can do. So he set up this potential of the voice, and then he said, and some of us feel like we're not being heard. So it creates this huge amount of contrast between the potential of the voice and some people's reality of their voice. And now as an audience, we are in the position where we want to close that gap. Yeah, absolutely. To make change in the world. What I'd like to suggest, there are a number of habits that we need to move away from. I've, I've assembled for your pleasure here seven deadly sins of speaking. I'm not pretending this is an exhaustive list, but these seven, I think, are pretty large. Habits that we can all fall into. Do you notice just there, he almost got a laugh. I'm by no means pretending this is an exhaustive list. A couple of people sort of giggled, but he kept moving on. I wonder if at that moment, if he sort of paused and sort of smiled at himself, gave the audience permission to sort of laugh 
that joke may have worked a little better. Maybe it was an unexpected laugh. I'm not sure there. Yeah, it didn't strike me as a particularly funny moment, as a joke particularly, so I was interested that he got the laugh there. Yeah, maybe just tickled a couple of people in the audience there. Habits that we can all fall into. First, gossip. Speaking ill of somebody who's not present. Not a nice habit, and we know perfectly well the person gossiping five minutes later will be gossiping about us. Second, judging. We know people who are like this in conversation, and it's very hard to listen to somebody if you know that you're being judged and found wanting at the same time. Third, negativity. You can fall into this. My mother, in the last years of her life, became very, very negative, and it's hard to listen. I remember one day I said to her, it's October the 1st today, and she said, I know, isn't it dreadful? <laughs> it's hard to listen when somebody's that negative. We talk a lot, everybody talks a lot about um, using storytelling in presentations. And just there, we saw a really nice example. That was not a long story. It was like two sentences. I said to my mother, she said this. There was a time, there was a place, there was characters, there was dialogue, and it was funny. Like, that was a really good example of storytelling. Boom, real quick. It's hard to listen when somebody's that negative. <laughs> and another form of negativity, complaining. Well, this is the national art of the UK. It's, it's our national sport. We complain about the weather, about sport, about politics, about everything. But actually, complaining is viral misery. It's not spreading sunshine and lightness in the world. Excuses. We've all met this guy. Maybe we've all been this guy. Some people have a blame thrower. They just pass it on to everybody else and don't take responsibility for their actions. And again, hard to listen to somebody who's being like that. Penultimate, the six of the seven. Embroidery. Exaggeration. It demeans our language, actually, sometimes. For example, if I see something that really is awesome, what do I call it? <laughs> and then, of course, this exaggeration becomes lying, out-and-out out lying, and we don't want to listen to people we know are lying to us. And finally, dogmatism. The confusion of facts with opinions. When those two things get conflated, you're listening into the wind. You know, somebody is bombarding you with their opinions as if they were true. It's difficult to listen to that. So here they are, seven deadly sins of speaking. These are things I think we need to avoid. But is there a positive way to think about this? I'm not convinced just here. Um, I really like the idea that we have the seven deadly sins of speaking. Mm. That's, that's nice. Yeah, nice little package for that. What's not working for me is that it's not particularly memorable. Like, there was seven there. And if I think back, there was, like, judging, negativity excuses and some others like there was no sort of way to have that idea stick it was not st a sticky list there was no even like a mnemonic or any sort of rhyme or reason to him it's just sort of this list that he went through that wasn't signposted in any way do you know what i mean there like it just wasn't memorable no i disagree because i think you don't want it to be memorable particularly you don't need to have a memorable list of bad things you think it's more just a, here's seven things to not do, and it's not super important what all of those are in detail? Yeah, I think people actually intrinsically know that all of these things are bad. Mm, yeah. And I think remembering that list specifically is not actually important. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. I think the lesson is, though, like if you want a list to be memorable and important, to have some way of making it sticky and memorable mm. for the audience. Yeah, and I'm just not convinced that this is required to be memorable. Yeah, okay. But is there a positive way to think about this? Yes, there is. 
I'd like to suggest that there are four really powerful cornerstones, foundations, that we can stand on if we want our speech to be powerful and to make change in the world. Fortunately, these things spell a word. The word is hail, and it has a great definition as well. I'm not talking about the stuff that falls from the sky and hits you on the head. I'm talking about this definition, to greet or acclaim enthusiastically, which is, I think, how our words will be received if we stand on these four things. So what do they stand for? See if you can guess. The H, honesty, of course. Being true in what you say, being straight and clear. The A is authenticity, just being yourself. A friend of mine described it as standing in your own truth, which I think is a lovely way to put it. The I is integrity, being your word, actually doing what you say, and being somebody people can trust. And the L is love. I don't mean romantic love, but I do mean wishing people well. For two reasons. First of all, I think absolute honesty may not be what we want. I mean, my goodness, you look ugly this morning. Mm, perhaps that's not necessary. Tempered with love, of course, honesty is a great thing. But also, if you're really wishing somebody well, it's very hard to judge them at the same time. I'm not even sure you can do those two things simultaneously. So, hail. Okay, so here's the list we should be remembering, clearly. With, with the acronym, with the tools to actually help us yeah. remember them, because this is the important list to remember. Yeah, it was hail, which, I mean, we, we introduced it, what, a minute ago? Honesty, authenticity, integrity, love. Like, we can remember those. He gave us a brief introduction of them. I'm guessing we're maybe going into a little bit more detail now, but I think you're right, Kate. That other list was just like, here's some inf background information, ba 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 bum Here's the thing you need to remember, H-A-I-L. Yep. So, hail. Also, now that's what you say, and it's like the old song, it is what you say, it's also the way that you say it. You have an amazing toolbox. This instrument is incredible, and yet this is a toolbox that very few people have ever opened. I'd like to have a little rummage in there with you now, and just pull a few tools out that you might like to take away and play with, which will increase the power of your speaking. Register, for example. Now, falsetto register may not be very useful most of the time, but there's a register in between. I'm not going to get very technical about this for any of you who are voice coaches. You can locate your voice, however. So if I talk up here in my nose, you can hear the difference. If I go down here in my throat, which is where most of us speak from most of the time. But if you want weight, you need to go down here to the chest. You hear the difference? We vote for politicians with lower voices. It's true. Because we associate depth with power uh, and with authority. That's register. I do need to jump in here. I do have such an issue with this of a lower voice equals more authority, more power. That to me, that's just really standing out to me as quite a sexist remark. Well, he's saying a high voice is bad, a low voice is good. Men just have lower voices. That just is a fact. So for me, that, that really irks me. I think you're hearing things that he hasn't said. He said, we tend to vote for politicians with deeper voices. Men. He did not introduce gender there at all. I think, like, if you want to assume that women always have a higher-pitched voice than men, sure, that's one thing. But he's saying politicians, we could be comparing two men to women here, which is, we'll vote for the one with the deeper voice. And what if you're comparing a man and a woman? Well, if he's comparing a man and a woman, they'll be the one with the deeper voice. It may well be the man. Mm. But he's not said that. No, but that's my cultural understanding. That's register. And we have timbre. It's the, the way your voice feels. Again, the research shows that we prefer voices which are rich, smooth, 
warm, like hot chocolate. Well, if that's not you, that's not the end of the world, because you can train. Go get a voice coach. And there are amazing things you can do with breathing, with posture, and with exercises to improve the timbre of your voice. Then prosody. I love prosody. This is the sing-song, the meta-language that we use in order to impart meaning. It's root one for meaning in conversation. People who speak all on one note are really quite hard to listen to if they don't have any prosody at all. That's where the word monotonic comes from, or monotonous, monotone. Also, we have repetitive prosody now coming in, where every sentence ends as if it were a question, when it's actually not a question, it's a statement. <laughs> and if you repeat that one over and over, it's actually restricting your ability to communicate through prosody, which I think is a shame. So let's try and break that habit. Pace. I can get very, very excited by saying something really, really quickly, or I can slow right down to emphasize. And at the end of that, of course, is our old friend, silence. There's nothing wrong with a bit of silence in a talk, is there? We don't have to fill it with ums and ahs. It can be very powerful. Of course, pitch often goes along with pace to indicate arousal, but you can do it just with pitch. Where did you leave my keys? Where did you leave my keys? It's a slightly different meaning in those two deliveries. And finally, volume. I can get really excited by using volume. Sorry about that if I startled anybody. What I dislike here is he's brought himself out of the moment. You're really kind of invested in what he's saying. And then he breaks it by saying, oh, sorry if I've startled anybody. That was the point. Yeah, yes. And I think an acknowledgement of that kind of... Didn't fit. Yeah. I think it lessens the impact of it, maybe. I think just don't apologize for something that you've done as an example. Mm. Because the example is designed to be an example. Yeah. It's designed to show the impact of the thing that you're demonstrating. Yeah. 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 Anyway. By using volume, sorry about that, if I startled anybody. <laughs> or I can have you really pay attention by getting very quiet. Some people broadcast the whole time, try not to do that. That's called sodcasting. <laughs> Imposing your sound on people around you carelessly and inconsiderately, not nice. Of course, where this all comes into play most of all is when you've got something really important to do. It might be standing on a stage like this and giving a talk to people. It might be proposing marriage asking for a raise, a wedding speech, whatever it is. If it's really important, you owe it to yourself to look at this toolbox and the engine that it's going to work on. And no engine works well without being warmed up. Warm up your voice. Actually, let me show you how to do that. Would you all like to stand up for a moment? I'm going to show you the six vocal warm-up exercises that I do before every talk I ever do. All oh, right, we've got interactivities, got people standing up, which is quite a, um, that's quite a bold sort of interactivity to get people to stand up, and sounds like we're going to do some vocal warm-ups, which I'm guessing is going to have people standing like a goose together, because, you know, that's, that's how vocal warm-ups work. Mm. Um, but you'll notice he's put this in eight minutes into this talk. We've had all this time where he's been giving away value and information and sharing himself a little bit, building rapport with the audience. So now we've got a little bit of trust in this Julian guy to jump up and interact with the presentation the converse of that is somebody who tries to get interaction like right up the front which there's been no rapport no trust and it it's really uncomfortable for your audience so putting it this far into a talk makes sense 
vocal warm-up exercises that I do before every talk I ever do. Anytime you're going to talk to anybody important, do these. First, arms up, deep breath in, and, and sigh out, like that. One more time. Very good. Now we're going to warm up our lips, and we're going to go ba, 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 ba. Very good. And now, just like when you were a kid. Now your lips should be coming alive. We're going to do the tongue next with exaggerated la, 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 la. Beautiful. You're getting really good at this. And then roll an R. That's like champagne for the tongue. Finally, and if I can only do one, the pros call this the siren. It's really good. It starts with we and goes to or. The we is high, the or is low. So you go, Fantastic. Give yourselves a round of applause. Take a seat. Thank you. Next time you speak, do those in advance. Now, let me just put this in context to close. This is a serious point here. This is where we are now, right? We speak not very well into people who simply aren't listening in an environment that's all about noise and bad acoustics. I have talked about that on this stage in different phases. What would the world be like if we were speaking powerfully to people who are listening consciously in environments which were actually fit for purpose? Or to make that a bit larger, what would the world be like if we were creating sound consciously and consuming sound consciously and designing all our environments consciously for sound? That would be a world that does sound beautiful and one where understanding would be the norm and that is an idea worth spreading. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay. You know what? This is. I've seen this talk a number of times, and I totally appreciate why it's the number six most watched TED talk. But oh wow! It was going really, really well, and I enjoyed nine and a half minutes of it. And then in that last thirty seconds, in his conclusion, he started introducing all of this new concepts that he hadn't actually explained. I think you referenced he may have spoken about them in previous talks or something, which we don't have access to. Or maybe we do. I'm not interested in trawling through the internet to try and find mm. another video just to get some context on this mm. speech. So I found that conclusion really ineffective because it didn't wrap up everything that he talked about. It introduced more stuff that he didn't explain. And I left at the end of it feeling a bit dissatisfied, Oh yeah, I think. Let me talk about what I heard here, which is he started with that um, quick list of the seven deadly sins, and then he gave us that hail tool, the honesty, authenticity, integrity, and... Love. Love, that's it. We can remember it still. So that was really talking about like societal impacts of communication and sort of philosophy around uh, communication and speaking. So I think that was a really good place that we started. That was about half the talk right there, and I thought if he elaborated on that hail a little bit, that would have been a complete... TED Talk, a complete idea worth sharing right there. Yep. Then we moved into the toolbox. So this was talking about, like, the mechanics of the voice. We had, like, prosody and volume and pitch and those sort of things. And yep. he touched on them really quickly, had the examples as we addressed. And then we moved on. I thought, hang on, hang on. Like, those were good tools. How do I use those to achieve that hail? Because he was talking about mm. it's not just what you say, but how you say it. Here are the tools. But then didn't connect those two dots for me. Then we had the vocal warm-ups, which was, I mean, yes, warming up the voice, but how did that then relate to the previous three points? And then, like you said, the conclusion was like, and now we're going to talk about 
acoustic environments and creating and receiving voice. There was just the first half of that talk I really like. The second half is like these three more ideas bolted into it. Mm, because he goes into this toolbox and then the vocal warm-up, which are tools, and there was no explanation on how that helps me achieve hail, honesty, authenticity, integrity, love, mm. which he set up as this is what we need to achieve. Yeah, so I think, was this a 10-minute talk that should have just been the first five minutes plus a little bit more example? Or was this a 10-minute talk that should have been an 18-minute talk? Mm. So then what message did you get out of that? What was the one takeaway that you got? Not a damn lot. As such a watch TED talk, I think it's a really good sort of index or maybe introduction into all of the aspects of voice. When you hear things like volume, pitch, pace, or honesty, integrity, love, and deception and exaggeration it really did a nice job of sorting those words terms and ideas into the buckets you know these are sins Mm. don't do these these are good these are tools so a good index i guess but i don't know what particular message i got did you get something i actually got the message really up front and it's kind of what i said about that contrast he kind of highlighted the potential of the voice so maybe the message that i got then is your voice has so much potential Yep. Yeah, okay. I don't know that that was carried all the way through to, like, the conclusion, though. No, I agree. Mm. I agree. So I'm not totally confident on that. Yeah. But if I had to pick something, yeah, that would be my go-to. Fair enough. All right. The physical. What did we see? He didn't move. No. His feet were cemented exactly on that red dot. They didn't move at all. Yeah. He looked very neat and tidy. I noticed he, um, he had... There was a PowerPoint playing in the background, which, again... We said this before, it was not worthy of note. It didn't really add to the presentation. It didn't take from the presentation too much. There was um, sort of a visual for each point that he'd said. The really good one was when he had hail up and that the acronym and the words behind it. But a lot of the others, he just had some sort of um, just stock image type of thing associated with mm. it. I mean, the big thing there obviously was the audience interaction. He had some big gestures to get everybody up. And people did it quite happily. The yeah. camera panned around and you saw people kind of smiling. They put down their books and they happily stood up yep, gave when he asked. Yeah. yeah, And he had some good gestures to seat people down again. So pretty simple sort of physical performance. I'd say he was neat and controlled. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. So that was Julian Treasure, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen at TED in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, I can appreciate why that's such a well-watched TED talk. But like I said, I've seen it a few times. I'm still just like, man, I don't know. There's... There's either too much or not enough in that talk. <laughs> yeah. Do I love it? No. Do I hate it? No. Would I watch it again? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. So as always, there's a link to the TED Talk down in the show notes below. So go and give Julian Treasure another watch. Maybe play along with those interactivities, those vocal warm-ups. I reckon they're pretty helpful. I've seen a lot of those before. Um, otherwise, thank you very much, Julian Treasure. We hope you've learned something with this speech breakdown. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a speech you'd like us to listen to and break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information of this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week.